100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by a Pennsylvania hunter, Angelo Ebersol. In 2023, Angelo caught up with a giant 162-inch public land Pennsylvania mountain buck. We discuss his transition from farm country to the big woods, how he found the buck, trail camera strategy, hunting strategy, working around other hunters, how the rut affected his pattern, the moon's impact, and much more. Angelo is a listener of the podcast who submitted the story through Mountain Buck Monday and through the detail he had decided to bring him on the podcast and talk about it. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, we have a story coming from Trevor Rector out of Virginia. Trevor wrote in, and I will say this is Trevor's, he sent in two for the year. I'm going to share the first one on this week's episode. He wrote in, on November 2nd, 2023, was the first serious cold snap we've had. 14 degrees, so I decided to do an all-day sit. I had seen a big buck the day before and moved my stand closer to the area I saw him. Got into my stand that morning, and as soon as daylight hit, I had several small bucks bumping does and chasing them a good bit. The action slowed down from about noon until 3 p.m. and saw another young buck cruising around. Just a bit later, I saw the big buck on the opposite ridge I was expecting to see walking about 125 yards away. Unsure of what to do, I picked up the rattling antlers and gave them a little tickle. He walked in behind some big laurel bushes, and when he came out the other side, he hooked his horns in a branch and broke it off. He fuzzed up and came in for a fight. He walked right into shooting range, and I took the shot. He crashed just out of sight. I knew he was a nice buck, but I was really surprised when I got to wrap my hands around all 160 inches of his antlers. Well, congratulations, Trevor. That's an absolute giant deer from Virginia. And the first of two that that you had gotten that in the 2023 season, like I said, I'll share that one here later, but congratulations. If you want to check out the photos of this deer, you can head over to East meets West hunt on Instagram or East meets West outdoors on Facebook. If you have a story that you want to send in, please send it to my email, bow at East meets West hunt.com and put in the subject line, Mountain Buck Monday, just a short paragraph or two and some nice clean photos and and would love to be able to share them. With that said, we will get right into this episode uh, with the other with the listener Angelo Ebersol out of Pennsylvania. If you like the podcast and it's been beneficial to you, I'd really appreciate it if you shared it with your friends, family, whoever else that you think would benefit from it, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on YouTube, wherever that you listen to it. So have a great rest of your week, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, we are live. Angelo Ebersole, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to have you on. Uh, you had sent in a Mountain Buck Monday submission here. Uh, I guess it was back in early December that you'd sent it in, and and I was reading through your story and just just yeah, just listening or reading your story. And and there was a lot of detail in it and you shot a really, really big Pennsylvania deer, but you put a couple years of work into it. And I thought it would be cool to kind of, you know, pick your brain a little bit on your process of, of going in and, and scouting this deer and, and finding them because again, it just looks like you put a lot of work into it. So before we kind of get into that story there, I just wanted to hear a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into, you know, 
hunting the big woods and mountains if that's something you grew up doing or how how you kind of got into that yeah so i i shot my first deer when i was 12 uh with a bow i had no idea what i had shot um turned out it was well I, i knew it was a buck obviously but i had no idea the caliber of deer that i had shot it was a 125 inch eight point um when i was 12 and i'm 21 now so quite a few years back on the mountain um it was a really fun really fun hunt and dad kind of got us into it me and my brothers and we kind of went from there um so that started it and i've been chasing them ever since yeah so it's kind of a a a full-on family ordeal as far as uh chasing these deer and these whitetails in the mountains yeah so we actually there's quite a lot of us boys actually i'm the second one the oldest one moved away and me and my younger brother next younger brother kind of took it a little too serious maybe um we hunt a lot of private and a lot of public but the public was always something that i really liked going deep um trying to find a good deer um my brother shot his deer on private last year so i wanted to get mine public well this past season but they ended up being an inch and an eighth which is kind of wild but yeah. Oh my gosh. So you say so both of you had shot. Well, I have a picture here, but I didn't, I didn't get the, the story on, on your brothers, but 260 inch plus deer in the same season. Yeah. No, not the same season. It oh. was, he shot his last year, like 2020. Well, I forget what season it would be. It's the one that's mounted here on the wall. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. That is, yeah. that's awesome. But yeah, you still one year apart or whatever it was like, yeah. that's uh that's pretty, it's pretty incredible to see two one sixties, you know, coming out of Pennsylvania yep. like that. The one was private, just a little farm and the other one was public mountains. So completely different animals. It's fun yeah. learning them both. <laughs> yeah, no. And what have, yeah. what have you seen as far as the similarities and, and some of the differences from hunting some, you know, private farm country to hunting the big woods is someone that's, you know, done it both like yourself. What have you seen some differences there? Okay. Well, first where we hunted this, uh, farmland deer, there was like not a lot of woods for him to be on. Um, and we had permission on pretty much all the parcels that we could, and then there was some, there was probably two or three other parcels that people were hunting in just really small plots. Um, whereas, yeah, and he had a large home core, which was on private, nobody hunts. So it was kind of catching when he came off and figure out the weather when he was going to move. Um, whereas up in the mountains, they're everywhere and it's free game. I mean, <laughs> you could you could catch this deer a mile away and the next day he's back in his home area so the one moved well they both didn't move a whole lot that's something that's very similar they didn't move a whole lot far away from their home area but the one thing right where he lived and the other one i don't know two complete different animals when you start looking at the nitty-gritty like what makes them move it's a little bit similar but they don't quite travel the same yeah as far as you're saying like with the with the farm deer more of 
more of you could predict the direction of travel or where they were heading to versus a little bit more randomness to, you know, the certain trails mm -hmm. that, that, you know, your deer would have used or anything. Pretty much. We had to catch deer on the rut when he was getting out to move, um, and find those, find the first couple does and stay out of our properties enough to make him feel safe as he did in his home area where nobody could hunt. Um, so that when he came onto our properties that we could hunt, there was no intrusion that he sensed. So he would feel just as safe there as he did anywhere else. Um, which was one thing we tried really hard to do. Yeah. Okay. So just trying to keep the pressure off until conditions were right to be able to move in. Yeah. So we actually no, ended up getting, we run a lot of cell cams. So that actually ended up being the ticket telling us, okay, he was here Sunday morning. Um, he was everywhere past everyone's stands, our stands and neighbor stands. And while we're all sitting in church, just watching him run around. Um, anyway, so then Monday, he wasn't there Tuesday. Maybe it, maybe it was Monday he was there. Monday or Tuesday, he was in there daylight and all across our property. So we're like, okay, we need to go in. So my brother went in and made it happen. But, okay. Yeah. yeah. So once he was, once he was kind of in that area, then that's when you made the decision like, all right, now it's time to, yep. to move in and, and go on it. Now, did you feel like that was something that you could do with the, the deer that you were hunting in the mountains or do you, as like, did you, were trail cameras a big part of it? And I don't mean to get too far ahead head of the story so if you think we should kind of start back towards the no. beginning we can do that but no that's 100 percent fine we can touch on this quick so trail cameras were a huge part of it um that actually takes us back to the start of when we found this deer we were just trying to branch out cover a little more area learn more about the land we were hunting and we set a bunch of not a whole bunch but for us back then five or six were cell cameras and so we set them up and i remember thinking to myself let's set one on this tree because i like where it's at well turns out we did not set one on that tree however some other hunter came in and put a trail camera on that tree um so we when we went in to collect our trail cameras we pulled this one that i had thought maybe we'd put there and when we got it back we we're like looking through the card and we we're like we didn't get any of these pictures why not man, there's a huge buck on there. So it was kind of stole someone else's pictures on accident, um, which is kind of crazy. But we decided Sunday, that was Saturday we pulled them. Sunday, we couldn't get the camera to connect to our app. And we are like, what the world? This is weird. So we're like, whatever, we'll just go put it back in the woods and hopefully it connects at some point. So we hike up there and I don't know who it is to this day. I don't know him but all of a sudden some guy just comes crashing out across the mountain towards us through the draw that we were in it's like hey did you guys steal my camera i know it's you guys i was getting pictures of you <laughs> so we got him back his camera but that kind of we had our own pictures of this year but they weren't so wait, when like you were saying when, when you were Oh, so when you were saying that it wouldn't connect at that point you didn't know that it wasn't your camera still at, at that, that point? point we didn't know it wasn't our camera Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry to him if he's listening. I don't know who he is, where he is, but he left and said, I found a better spot. Y'all better not find that. So 
<laughs> did, did he did he settle down a little bit when he realized it was a mistake that you had taken it, or did he well, think that you were kind of making up the story? I don't. Well, he he settled down a little bit because we pulled out a camera out of the backpack. Like, oh yeah, 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 that one's mine. We're like, no man, we got like five, six cell cameras in here, all the same. They're not yours. Like, we got to find yeah. which one's yours. So that kind of made him calm down a little bit. But yeah, that was pretty cool. Well, yeah. No, and 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 that I mean that can be uh that you know you can run into that mistake you know I remember it was probably like seven or eight years ago no probably even longer than that I it was just a regular uh, SD card camera and I you know I wanted uh, I was going in to put a camera on this tree and I went in and, and it was in the dark I was just gonna hunt it blind because I'd found this scrape and I all of a sudden I see a camera on it and I'm like and it was the same kind of cameras I was using. Uh, I think it was like this little Browning camera I had at the time. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, I had, I just had bought a, you know, like three or four of them and was putting them out. And I'm like, I didn't realize I put this camera here. And then, uh, <laughs> and you know, so I opened it up and, and checked it before I climbed up the tree and then realized, or maybe I don't remember the exact order. Maybe it was after I came down, but then realized it wasn't mine. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. And then I ended up running into the guy uh that day when i was going out and i told him that i said hey i really apologize but i accidentally checked your camera because i thought it was mine it was had it marked as a you know blue scrape icon where i wanted to put a camera and everything and i just thought i forgot to change the icon over to the camera and and yeah that can that can definitely happen when you get you know especially when you're running a bunch of the same cameras and yep. you're you're putting them in different places and you can't remember if you put it there and just forgot to mark it or whatever mm-hmm. yeah so that's funny but uh so going back to so that's how you found the deer it was was because of that so we had one or two pictures we had a camera like 40 yards away from that camera but the clear pictures, nice pictures came from his camera. We didn't, we only had some foggy nighttime pictures where we just knew it was a big, big deer um, out in the distance. But then we got a better look at him and we we're like, we got to find this deer. But we were never in his area at that point. Um, never saw the deer that year. And, and what year was that? That was 21, I'm going to say. Okay. I can look back real quick here. But so we got those pictures and we decided to drop off the backside of the mountain into a big valley that's public and try and find him in there, see where he's at. So we dropped a bunch of cameras in there, caught him daylighting a couple times uh, during the rut. Um, got a couple more pictures of him, but there was still nothing that said, I live here. He's just everywhere, just running, Um, which at that point, it was the rut. So we didn't know where to start other than he never was on. There was a ravine, and he never crossed to the left side of the ravine. He would go across the backside of the mountain, but he would never cross the ravine and go to another clear-cut area. Um, We never got him over there ever. So we knew that about him. Uh, yeah, 2021 was the first year. Okay. And he was, I think I sent you those pictures, a big eight point. The one side yeah. was messed up. Anyway, 
definitely a mature deer at that point. Um, and bigger than anything we were hunting. But that was the same. We were currently chasing this farm deer that year too, which was just a solid 10 point. So it was kind of trying to figure them both out. And we ended up just putting all the eggs in the basket that year, learning him. But we didn't kill it till 22 or whatever. Anyway. Okay, so to to break it down a little bit more, so what what kind of what kind of terrain are you are you talking about here? Is it pretty steep stuff? And you talked about some clear cuts. So give give the listeners like a little bit of a picture on like what it looked like, where where you're at, where you're getting pictures of them, and kind of how that looked. So pretty much, it's at the very top of the mountain. Um, they clear cut the top of the mountain in sections, and there's a water source in the area and he pretty much we found him this summer because we decided to put cameras around the water source and turns out he was every single day. Um, he would go in at probably eight to nine in the morning, um, bed down somewhere right at the water source and come back out five, six in the evening all throughout the summer. Um, like clockwork when he was, growing his antlers so that was cool to watch him this year um so we figured like we had him where he was at in the summer and we had never had this much intel on a deer but we didn't know where he was going to move to in the fall so i reached out to steve shirk and was like hey you know you know a lot more about big deer than i do i'm curious like how much do you expect this deer to move when they change to their fall range and he's like, well, if I remember right, he said that he, most people think they move farther than they actually do, um, which he was absolutely right in this deer. This deer hardly moved. He may have, might have moved his bed 100 yards um, when he switched to his fall pattern, but he wasn't as consistent on the water and pretty much ditched the water come fall. However, we knew where he was at that point. And so we started running cameras just all around there and on scrapes and stuff. So I had actually okay. the year previous, I had this deer in my mind. Um, he had came back as a 10 point. The one side wasn't messed up and I was rifle hunting with a buddy in right in the area. And there's kind of a cliff. It's, it's pretty rugged to get to the top. Um, it's about a mile up there from private access. And I was hunting with a buddy and we were just sitting over a cliff just midday, like trying to catch something moving below us or something. And we come across the pine tree that is just shredded. And underneath it is a bed. And I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, what if this is the deer that I'm after? What if we're in his bedroom? And turns out this year, um, I see him last year in the area or whatnot but this year with that in my mind it was exactly where he was bedding so till i killed him we had him pinned down to he was within probably a 50 yard diameter circle um we knew right where he was if he was there which is so, kind of crazy so you think that this deer used the same bed many times um, I think so. Yes. Okay. I would, 
I wouldn't say a hundred percent, but he was within fifty yards of that bed, pretty much. Yeah. Interesting. And and uh, I guess what 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 made you think, that, or I know what made you think the rub in the bed, but as far as like, why do you think that he liked that area? Like, what did it look? Was it on top of the cliff, like kind of looking out? Was it? you know think were you thinking about like that he had a really good wind advantage or just like he could see very good or did, what what were you thinking is why he really liked that bedding spot okay so that bed in particular didn't have a lot of pros as far as sight goes um it was probably 50 yards to the edge of the cliff but the cliff is straight down so nothing was coming up that edge um he could see into the open woods from there and behind him was really thick. If anything, okay, you could have come through the whole thick clear cut to get there and he could have slipped into the open woods um, up through some, some thick stuff that's there. Or if you were coming through the open woods, he would have seen you from a long time and no, yeah. you could have slipped. Um, but that land driven by like a max drive, 25 guys like three times a year minimum so he was slipping out on how many different drives he got around him yeah holy cow and was there uh was there oaks in the area or do you think he was mostly feeding in that clear cut or what, what are you thinking as far as food sources go so that was the problem when i tried to kill him because where he ended where he would bed they let all the oaks in that clear cut. And so it was, everything was cut except for ginormous oaks. And so he would literally spend an hour on his feet and not cover more than a 30 yard circle, just walking in circle, eat, eating the oaks and the, um, sticking his head down in the ferns and eating the acorns, which I got to watch him one time doing it for a long time. And he gave us some really cool pictures when he was doing that too. But yeah, yeah. he wouldn't move far. Yeah, and and so that, that's yeah, that's really interesting. And and now talking about it here, this is almost a two year span that has went from the time you got the first picture in twenty twenty one, and then twenty twenty two. You said you didn't see him in person, and you killed him in twenty twenty three. If if I'm if I was following correctly, but when right. you were in there scouting, uh, so, what other things did you notice? Like as far as what what where else do you think he was traveling uh, or was he mostly just like okay did you get pictures of him you know a mile away far uh, you know far away or was it just like all the daylight pictures were kind of in this really small spot so last year in rifle season i killed a 10 point uh a mature 10 point nothing fancy um opening day because it was just a whole bunch of us up there. Two other, another fellow, or my sister had actually killed, and a bunch of us were up there. So I'm like, he came through, and I couldn't pass him up for, for the experience, even though I wanted to hold out for the crazy 10, which is what we called him, which he showed up in daylight Monday afternoon under my stand. Um, so there was really no prediction, which was probably 500 yards away from where he bedded. So I'm not sure what made him get up and move that day other than it was a really good day. And I thought someone should be in that stand, but no one was. Um, 
So that was the one time that he daylighted, and we could have killed him. Um, but other than that, he was he didn't really move to where we had cameras, and we didn't know exactly where he was last year or the, the year previous to this. So we didn't have a lot of information as far as that goes, other than once or twice he would make a make a loop way out. Okay. And and you started and you started getting pictures of them, it sounded like. So there's a water source in the summer, you get them on, and then from there he didn't go far. He just wasn't necessarily hitting that that water source there. And mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting to me because a lot of the places that that I've spent have always had like a bunch of water sources, whether it be spring seeps or anything else. I've never had luck putting cameras on a water hole per se. But was it was there not much else for water up there? Or what do you think? Like, why do you think he was like focusing on that that water source? Or was it just so close to his bed? It was just like an easy spot for him to get up and take a drink and go back and lay down. Yeah. So it was just so close that he really yeah. didn't have to go anywhere. Um, he could have hiked way over to a creek or down to the bottom of the mountain, but you can't beat a water hole right on the top of the mountain, right yeah. in a clear cut. Yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes a whole lot of sense. And, and two, so like what you're, you're talking about your, um, your camera strategy there. So once you, once you kind of got some daylight photos of them, is that when you started, you know, clustering cameras around them a little bit and you were saying some scrapes and everything, was he laying down some big sign that made it apparent, like, this is where I need to put my cameras or how, how did you think about laying out your camera strategy? Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Okay, so I decided we're going to start, we're going to, we knew from Intel that he wasn't really bumping out the west side of where he was. So we didn't focus a lot on the west side. However, on the north, actually on the, just the east and the south and a little bit of the southwest, we just put a, like a circle, half circle or whatever, 
of cameras, just trying to figure out what's his entrance and exit and just put a lot of time in scouting. And I found one location where it was like a cliff and a cliff and there was a clear deer trail going right up and down the center of it. And I was like, this is so close to his bed. He's got to be using this to go up and down. So we put cameras there. Um, and sure enough, caught him. He would use that up and down. Um, we started to get a game plan of when he would go down the mountain, when he would come up. And early season, he was on the clock. I mean, he would be up. He would go down in the evening or during the night and come up past the camera at 7.30 pretty much every morning. So I was going to kill him opening morning, but here I was sitting in Mississippi at my brother's wedding watching the pictures of him under my stand <laughs> or under the tree <laughs> I would be in. But. Oh. oh, my gosh. That, that's that's hard. What a great brother to have a wedding on on the opening weekend <laughs> archery season. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Oh, my that's that's funny no that's that's really interesting so is it was there a, a lot uh more acorns as far as down low so you know j- again just from listening to the story it sounds like he'd get up out of his bed he'd feed a little bit around and then as nightfall happened he dropped down through that bluff gap between the two cliffs and then head down into some lower terrain and feed for the night and they'd come right back up through yeah so he would either just spend the night up there feeding around or he would drop down and come back up in the morning. Um, there was early season. There was way more acorns this year than I've seen um, my area. So I was a little bit scared that they wouldn't be dropping down to the field land to feed a lot. Um, which he did end up. Once it came to mid mid season, he stayed up top. He didn't really go down unless it would be for three hours during the night. He would go down at eleven thirty, twelve, come back up at three. Um, yeah oh okay so there was there was ag in the bottoms that yeah that was kind of okay gotcha so that was like the destination food of it but it was he he had enough up where he was living with the clear cut and the acorns that he didn't really need to go down there until you know he wanted you know dinner in the middle of the night essentially yeah you know and it's, it's interesting because you know say someone was hunting that private down low they might get pictures of them in the middle of the night and then you know if they were trying to hunt around those fields probably it would would be completely out of the game yeah they were completely out of the game um at least that's what the cameras would show yeah and so how is how are you planning on hunting this deer like how did you now that you had this information and i know you're gone like opening weekend but what what was your plan of attack to set up and like how how are you going to set up because Sometimes even when you know where they're betting at, they bet in a place that's so good that it's really hard to get close to them. So what what was your plan for doing that? So he definitely, I knew I had a limited amount of time with the foliage coming off because there was no way I was going to be able to slip in as close as I needed to get to catch him moving um, when the leaves were coming off. So I knew I had to get it done and I had good intel early season. So Sunday morning or after opener, he didn't go down that night. So I don't know if he sensed pressure down there, but he did not go down the mountain till 830 Sunday morning. He just decides the mountain right under the tree again, 930. He's back up. So I don't know what he was doing. He must've just walked down for a little bit, turned around and came back up. Um, 
so I was back Monday ready to hunt and I didn't know we didn't have any cameras to show if he went down the mountain or stayed up. So I, I risked it. I was like, okay, I got to hunt. Like he's gonna, he's gonna use that trail, but I've got to be smart. So I, I went up the mountain like three quarter way and kind of angled my way across through the thick stuff. Um, the wind wasn't quite a hundred percent perfect. If he was below me, uh, when I walked in, he would definitely know I was there. Depends how close he was. If he was down the ag, he'd have no idea. Um, and I avoided his trails going up. I got in and seven thirty, I got a picture of him sneaking through a back trail, like 150 yards. Away. So he knew I was there. So I, yeah, little, that was, had me a little bummed. <laughs> yeah. Cause he, I blew it on that one, but I didn't quite have the Intel. I didn't have the Intel to know if he stayed up top or if he had dropped to the bottom. So I tried to play it as safe as I could. And yeah, I lost. And so that, that was in the morning you're talking about, he was coming back up. So you, you went, mm -hmm. you went in, did you go in like, um you know a couple hours before daylight or did you get there right before daylight and did you have like a set stand there or were you like taking in a mobile setup so i was hunting him out of a saddle um i had heard you talk about the trophy line or the not trophy line the timber ninja so i got myself one of them and their carbon sticks so i was hunting him with that and that morning i had to set all my stuff up so I went in fairly early, but till I got done crashing, crashing through the rock fields in the dark for the first time, it wasn't that great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was set up in good time and fairly quiet once I got up there, but it was definitely a learning. You got to learn a lot, figuring out everything. Yeah, man, it's, it's so much than more. Daylight. Well, yeah, like that's the one thing that I've spent more time doing like now in the springtime and scouting and getting out there is is when I find a good spot or I think I'm on a buck of really paying attention to planning out your access routes then because I, I've run into that same situation a thousand times where it's you know where you need to be, but you don't know the best route to get there quietly and then what the wind's going to do. And like you can kind of wind map it, but you don't you can say, oh, I'm going to go up this draw on this drainage. And then it's, you know, choked full of laurel or rocks or something that makes it really difficult to be able to go up through there and actually get into position. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, that can be, that can be extremely tough. So yeah. when you, um, so after that, and after you realized this buck was, you know, he was kind of onto you there, did you continue to hunt that day or what did, what did you do for the afternoon? So I hunted just to midday, um, I got down maybe 10, 11 o'clock because I knew there was no chance he was going to come around. Um, he, was, he wasn't going to come around and come down past me. So if he was going to do anything, he was going to circle way out above me and come into bed his back through the backside, and I would have no idea. And then he would be able to watch me get out of my tree. So we shut it down. Didn't hunt that long that morning, if I remember correctly. I, I pretty okay. much called it a done deal. I got to get out before I make things worse. Yeah. So what, so what was your plan from there? Like, all right, you're like, ah, I think he's on to me hunting. And, and, uh, th did you, did you just completely back out until 
cameras told you more info or did you just try to play off of that? So then he kind of went, he would disappear. Like he would, he would just, we had about a week when we would set cameras up, we would have about a week till he knew where they were and would avoid them. So he would be moving, but he would skirt around the backside of our cameras, which is absolutely crazy, but that was cool to watch. Um, so he knew people were intruding and he knew the area that well that you could walk right into his bedroom. He would bust out for the day and be back tomorrow. Um, which was just, there was so many people, not so many people, but there was just over the years, he knew how to avoid people, um, which worked immensely to our advantage because we could go in there Sunday move cameras all around right in his area and Tuesday we or Monday night we'd be getting pictures of him so we kind of figured out that we could push our luck and he would be like he would be out of there when we're in there but as soon as we're out and everything was back to normal he would do his thing now he didn't move far from his thing but where he absolutely felt safe and knew hit the outskirts of that. So that's what we did and just set up cameras everywhere and tried, tried to see when he's going to make his next move that we can hunt him on. Okay. Uh, and okay. All right. So I guess, I guess just continue with the the story as far as like what, what kind of happened next. I'm just trying to visualize it in my head as far as, okay, you know, he knew you were hunting him. He knows what the pressure is doing, but you know, he's kind of still in the same area. So what did you have, some ideas as far as you know different trees to climb or trying to you know trying to trick them a little bit as far as or your access or what what was going through your head at that point and what you needed to do next so at that point i knew that it was going to be rolling into the scrapes and he would start getting active on those and just find the ones um just looking for the ones right outside his bedding that he could get fired up and hit first um just fresh off the bed and i was so my access turned out to be just their main trail that they go up and down the mountain because he was he was no longer coming down and going back up in the morning. He would randomly just come down middle of the night and go back up. So I was like, I can use that access when the wind is dumping straight, straight over the edge. He'll never smell me. He'll never hear me coming up the side because he's up on top just a little bit. Because it's it kind of at the top of the mountain it crests and then it kind of benches up for a little bit. So he would be up on the bench and could watch the crest of the mountain. So I would come up through the sender and he started hitting the scrapes just off the bench, like just before he would dive off the mountain. Um, that's where he would hit scrapes. There was one scrape there. I was set up 15 yards from it. So I would barely, it was, it was three trees. So I could, get up right behind him and slip right into him. Hopefully with nothing noticing me, um, try and go up when it's windy, when it's rainy, anything. Cause he would move in the most miserable weather, but he wouldn't cause he felt safe. Watch him a couple times. Um, he just wouldn't come into the woods. So I felt like after a couple times, I felt like I had to make a move on him because he didn't like to come into the woods. So I tried backing down the mountain bench just in case 
then he would have absolutely no idea if he was sensing me up top and he might drop down. Well, I fooled him once or twice and he hit the scrape right at the top when I was 80 yards below him. Um, so I didn't get to see him, but he was right up top when it was time for me to climb out. So I was able to get out without him knowing that I was there, which was had me a little stressed out because he was like <laughs> right there. And what if he decides to come down and I'm trying to like, it's dark. I got to get down the mountain. So then I knew I had to move to the edge of the open woods right against his open clear cut. Um, morning I watched him come into bed late, like 9.30, and he just skirted the edge like 40 yards, and I barely got a glimpse of him. But I knew I had to make a move to the very edge, which was going to be super risky. But I needed to be there because he didn't like to come into the woods, and he could sense me in there too much, which I tried to be as, as stealthy and everything as possible, but I don't know. They're just so smart. He would move, but he wouldn't come into the woods. So I could watch him, but he wouldn't come into me. So he just started feeling more safe in the open clear cut that he was bedding in. Um, and so I knew I had to move right up against it and be in the tree that was the last tree right there. So had a couple encounters with him, and he, he would hit the scrapes when I'm not there or when I decided not to hunt. Um so he, he was feeling safe and moving around, but I couldn't quite get it done when I was there. Like, I would see him, but he wouldn't quite be bow range. Um, so then the Monday night before I shot him, or the Monday night of the week I shot him, I was up, and he came out. No, it was the previous week. I decided I needed to move my set. So we were going to go up Sunday afternoon. I let my sticks in the tree and platform so I could just slip in and run up and just be clipped in in an instant. I decided I needed to move him to that edge tree now because this was going to be the week where he was going to move. Um, coming into the, you know, he was starting to rut a little bit. He wasn't moving a lot, but he was definitely, the cameras were showing him being more free on his feet. So I got in, we were like 500 yards away from getting there. And we get a picture of him and we're like, okay, what do we do? Like he hadn't been, we hadn't got pictures of him for two days. We figured we were safe, but of course, as soon as we go to show up and move the stuff, he shows up right where we need to be. So we didn't go in and move the stuff. I hunted Monday and I had a 50 yard opening. He was feeding in the fern, sticking his head down in there. He would have never heard the shot. I'm comfortable. I was going to let him have it at 50. And I had about a 15-year thing where he was going to walk through, and that was my opening. And it was it was way early, like an hour and a half till closing. Um, and he was moving around, and he just charged right through my opening and didn't give me a shot after feeding for probably 20 minutes just behind the trees. So I decided to risk it and throw a grunt at him and see what he would do. And I threw a grunt at him. He didn't really hear it, so I threw another one. And he went up and thrashed a scrape. I didn't know it was there. Apparently, a new one had just shown up, and he thrashed a scrape and then just went charging up the mountain, which had me, like, confused as ever. Like, why does he shred a scrape and then just rip up the mountain? 
So I was like, here's where I can make a really smart move or a really dumb move. Um, I could have just done something real stupid and blown this deer again. So I was like, okay. He ran up the mountain, headed clean away from me. Nine times out of ten, he's going to circle around and come down the ridge behind me, which there was no way he was going to get my wind, but he was going to try, is what I thought to myself. But I was like, but there's a chance that he won't come around behind me. And right now I should be moving my setup. So I decided to move my setup. So I tore down as fast as I could, ripped over 40 yards, ran up the tree. And I was just about set up. And I never saw him, so I don't have confirmation that it was him. But I heard the loudest crash ever behind me, and something took off. And I was like, I guarantee you, that was him coming in behind me, or coming down the ridge. My stuff set up in the tree. But I didn't see him, so I don't have confirmation. But to this day, I'm sure it was him just because of the nature of him trying to figure out what I was when he wasn't quite sure. Mm-hmm. So then all my stuff was in the tree I needed to be in, which I ended up killing him out of that tree, but he disappeared. He went missing for two Monday. He was gone. Wednesday. He was gone Monday, Tuesday, Monday night. I spooked him Tuesday. He was gone. Wednesday. He was gone. And I was checking the cameras to see if he would show back up. We were having some really good weather. And so if he would have showed back up, if I'd have caught any glimpse of him, I figured I could catch him coming back to bed late. Um, And sure enough, Thursday morning, 4.30, he was at the water hole. So I figured now, like, I would wake up early and just check just in case. Um, Because I didn't want to hunt if I knew he was nowhere in the area. But I knew with one of these mornings, the moon was right, the temps were right, um, pressure was good. I felt like everything was right to catch him um, catch him coming back to bed late. And about 9.20 would be the time that he would, 9.15 was, 9.15, 9.20 was when he would show up. So he was at the water hole like 200 yards away from where I was hunting. So I ripped up the mountain, got in probably 15 minutes late. Um, just no lights. I wasn't worried about him being there. Ran up my tree and yeah, nine fifteen, nothing. I was all ready for him. And at nine twenty, he came in from completely behind me, which I don't know why he came in from that direction, but he the scrape that I had been set on set up on, he came right into it and just thrashed it in the sunlight. So beautiful to watch. And <laughs> too close. I don't like a 20 yard shot's perfect for me. Like once you get closer than that, I just, I don't feel comfortable, but he was like probably 12 yards, like straight down. Anyway, he was about to walk over my footpath and I was like, Oh no, he's going to booger. Cause he's, he wasn't supposed to be between me and the edge of the mountain, but he decided to take that path, so I knew I had to let him have it before he got that far and smelled me. So he stepped out from behind a little tree, and I stopped him and let him have it. Oh, man, dude. So you, based on what you're saying here, I'm picking up on it was like the last week of October. Yeah, so 
it was November 2nd when I shot him. So the last week of October or the last week of October, he was all over the scrapes, but I just, I couldn't kill him. I couldn't be there at the right time. I was seeing him and the cameras were seeing him, but I just couldn't kill him. Man, I've never, I, I, I shouldn't say never, but it's very rare that I've heard a story of, you know, someone being able to see a deer of that caliber that many times in, in the mountains. And that's, that's incredible. That's awesome that you were able to stay on top of them like that. And, you know, he, it, it sounds like he probably knew you were hunting him, but he didn't exactly know where you were, or what you were doing, because yeah. like, otherwise he wouldn't yeah. have come even that close. And in, in my opinion, to, to be in there. So that's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, but you know, it's funny talking about like them coming from behind you. It's always when you think something's going to go a certain way is when they do what deer do and, you know, do something yeah. different. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I was so close to his bed and I got in a couple times without him knowing I was there that if I didn't kill the deer, I was happy because I had fooled one of the smartest deer that, or the smartest deer that I've ever hunted. Um, I had fooled him a couple times and got super close. And so while he knew I was hunting him, he didn't know where I was. So I felt like I could kill this deer it was just a matter of time, mm-hmm. but I would, I would have to play it so smart every time, which was, I was, I loved it. Like <laughs> after I shot him, it was, it was hard to wake up and be like, man, no more pictures of this deer coming through. <laughs> well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped after playing around with the buddies Hoyt RX eight. The smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Ghost Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that in addition the integrated kickstand within the hbx exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier if you want to experience what i'm talking about head to your nearest hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself you can learn more at hoyt.com the mobile hunters expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Yeah, no, I can I can relate to that. And and you one one other thing you brought up that I thought was interesting was how this deer moved in bad weather or you were saying he liked moving more in daylight and inclement weather so you're saying like while it's raining while it's like kind of nasty excuse me nasty out that's when he liked to move yeah 
If it was blistering, raining, he would be walking around in his clear-cut eating. Just, he felt most safe. He knew nothing would be up there, um, which I was there the one time, but didn't move far enough. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, man. That is that is that is incredible and and so november 2nd you ended up shooting them and and basically i mean it sounds like i mean you were hunting quite a bit but not a ton as far as you were trying to be calculated with your sits when you were going in there and hunting Mm -hmm. yeah so pretty much when i needed to hunt i would hunt and when i felt like it was a better move to stay out i stayed out and just hoped no one else killed him in the meantime because what, uh, we would get pictures. Go on. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. So we would get pictures of other fellas crashing around probably 100, 150 yards away from where he would bed. Um, and a couple times we got pictures, or one time in particular, we got pictures of him 20 minutes earlier than them. And he was walking all around other folks that were up there. I don't know if they knew about the deer or if they were just hunting, but yeah, he was walking around other folks. Huh? Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy in those pressured areas. Like those big deer, I mean, they have to live with it because especially when you're in an area that gets a bunch of pressure, they can't just completely get away from it. So sounds like this deer, you know, he found a safe spot. He knew where he could get away and he's just like, that's part of living here is I'm going to have to deal with this pressure and figure out how to, you know, avoid it or escape it. And did, uh, did you get another question? I always have with like these big old deer, were there other, were there smaller bucks in the area around or was he kind of like king of that, that point? So during the summer he would hang out with a couple different bucks. Um, they had a pretty nice bachelor group, but come winter when I would see him, he'd be hanging out with one spike. That was it. There was like, no other small bucks i mean they would they would run through the area but he some reason he was just hanging out with this one spike like if i saw this spike i knew he was in the area um a couple times did he did he show any rutting behavior like as far as chasing does or like leaving the area or was it was there a bunch of does in the area like because you know november 2nd you'd think by that point he'd be out looking a little bit or locked down you know the end of october Mm -hmm. one thing i've seen with like some really some of those really old deer it seems like the does kind of come to them but you can if you don't hit the window right you know in that last week october sometimes that they're locked down through that first week did you see him doing any sort of uh, rotting behavior so honestly i started to question if the rut even affected him because he didn't okay i knew it was affecting him but he did not seem to show interest in the does like i thought he would um now his his where he was bedding and that bench right there I would see a lot of does in the morning. Like they'd be coming and going from that same clear cut. Um, so they were right there with him, but we never really saw him getting after them, like actively. Hmm. What about the year prior, the year prior to killing them that, that, that you had cameras in there? Did you see him rutting at any time or any signs of rutting? So at that point, we still didn't know where he was living. But the time where he was under my stand in rifle season, 4.30 in the afternoon. He was with three does then um, and no other bucks. So 
that's as close as I could come to having any. Huh. Yeah. Man, that's really crazy. But no, this deer is is super incredible. I have on my other screen right now the the pictures of them pulled up and uh whoever took the photos for you, whether it was you or your brother or whoever else did a really good job. I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful pictures. Yeah, thanks. That's my brother. He likes to do some photography. And if you kill if you kill a good deer, it's worth the pictures. Yeah. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, just in general, it's like it's uh it's always heartbreaking when you see like a you know good buck or really any deer and it's just like you know especially like I, I always see it with with older guys and stuff they'll they'll be out and they'll like you know i was actually just talking to a buddy of mine at the great american outdoor show his dad had shot a really nice buck and he's like i was so bummed i wasn't there and he's like trying to take a you know a selfie picture with it and he you know didn't have the buck in frame and then it was this and then ends up just you know getting one with the deer laying on the ground sort of deal yeah. and that was that's really it you know <laughs> yeah but no i i have him here but he's the mass is just something else that you can't quite see well, that yeah, on pick, the pictures i don't know where we can yeah right there just this right in here is just yeah massive six and a half inches or something around right there but oh my gosh those brow tines and he's got split g4s a drop beam well both beams drop down that's such cool character yeah. dang man beautiful chocolate rack on them that that is an absolute feat to be able to get on a deer like yeah. that and 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 be able to kill them and be on them that consistently to to be able to find like that's just really incredible man that's congratulations again yeah thanks a lot uh yeah sorry there's a there's a little bit just so anyone's listening here we had to record on a different uh, platform here so there's a little delay sometimes going back and forth but that like so how what do you think you learned from this deer that you will apply going forward as far as like if you find a deer and you're trying to target them is you know just the importance of trying to figure out where he's bedding uh, or what, what, what are some like real big takeaways that you have from hunting this deer? Okay. So, well, a lot of, a lot of what I learned to hunt this deer came from you and Steve Shirk because I was just trying to learn anything I could. And so a lot of that is already talked about, um, but they're, they don't move as far as you think they do most times. Um, so if I have a deer in the summer, I'm definitely keeping that in mind for a mountain deer. And just the food source and what to look for in bedding. Um, he taught me so much when it comes to what I got to look for in the mountains, for where they're going to bed, for chasing any other deer. Like you, I can apply what I know about this deer to anything I'm going to go scout, whether it's looking at you know the food source, the bedding, everything you know how it comes together and how the buck's going to feel about it um and you know the time of year the weather what you're looking for the moon pressure what affects them because that all that all played a big part into this deer it definitely some people think the moon doesn't do a lot but i think the moon's definitely counts a lot for it did for this deer anyway yeah 
And and uh, so what what days when you say about like the moon, what what types of moon phases that were that he liked to move on or or that you saw him moving around in daylight on? So pretty much anything when the moon was hanging high, like if the moon would go down at about 10 o'clock in the morning, that was ideal. Um, It seemed like it would just it kept him on his feet a little longer. And so you would catch him coming to bed late on those days. Um, And then early rising moon, like early in the afternoon coming up also affected him. But definitely the, in the morning when the moon was only set in 10, 11 o'clock, it just seemed to catch, to keep him from coming back to bed early. Hmm. And, and yeah, you know, I've, I've heard that before, but I've never, I've never had a deer where I felt like I had that I had felt that targeted on that I was able to to really look back and see it. My dad has said similar things and I've talked to other people that have and I, I need to start paying more attention to the moon personally. That's one thing that yeah. I definitely don't give enough credit or at least haven't you know thought about it enough to and, and I need to to start paying attention to that a little bit more than in the data. You know, weather obviously is like I've always paid attention to the weather seriously and seeing how and and it's funny because every deer's you know a little bit different and some like different weather patterns and everything. But I've always heard that the guys that are really into the moon all kind of line up with each other and, and that are you know pretty much in agreement how how the moon works and seems to be seems to be yeah. pretty consistent. And and the other thing that you said about, you know, what you learned from him and his bedding, that's so, that is so important. And it takes for anybody listening, it's, it's so hard to visualize it, but once you see it and you learn so much about a deer, now it becomes easier to pick up on. And it's just really, I mean, you said it, you know, a bunch of times and I, I don't even know what this area looks like and I can visualize it in my head as far as. Basically, just think about what a deer needs to be feel safe, and and that's it. You know mm-hmm. what? Where is the pressure coming from? What are what are? The, how can he get away from it? What's you know? What's he going to feel safe? And you even saying about the doe is bedding in the clear cut. It's like, you know, that's an alarm system for that deer. You know, so that even yeah. if it was on, you know, say you had an east wind instead of a westerly wind, you know, he he still feels good because he's got those does that are there to protect him. Mm-hmm. And now he's got it, you know, a different advantage, maybe shifts his bed a little bit or looks a different direction to, to be able to find. And, and that's super interesting to, to be able to, you know, pick up on that and, and be able to see from this deer as being like a really good case study of, of being able to see that. And then also like even as far as the, uh, what was I going to say with it? I mean, looking at your trail camera picture, it looks like somewhat of an older cut that was there. So probably what, like an eight or nine year old cut, seven or eight year old, maybe young, a little bit younger. Yeah. They were older cuts. Not, not too fresh. They got to the point where it's, it's definitely, most of them are too thick for the deer to like them other than just to go through them. Um, But this one has enough of enough of, oaks in it and enough of thick stuff but yet is fairly open at most some of the parts that are down low where he can sit and watch the open stuff or he could so and and then i guess just the the 
The last thing that really comes to mind and a question I have is, did you get him on any of your cameras during the middle of the day, like standing up and feeding or or doing anything, or he didn't move that far away when he was, you know, feeding there? Or you didn't have cameras that close, I guess? We had cameras that close. He would, I mean, just, I have all the pictures of him here. Maybe mid-afternoon, he would get up and do a little bit, nothing much. Um, there's a couple, there was a couple times where he would, he would do something like that, but it wasn't like, it, it wasn't predictable activity for sure, mm-hmm. but he definitely did midday. He would walk around a little bit. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. And and what else, I guess, and I just said that was going to be the last thing, but if you, if you were to think of anything else that you would have done differently, obviously it worked out, but if there's something that you would have done differently early season, is there anything that comes to mind of how, how you would have hunted him differently? I felt like I was being about as stealthy as I could. So, but just learning how to be more stealthy and the is so I get to the top of the mountain. I can, I can't do anything about, okay. I can do a lot about scent control, but once you get up there, the last it was the last bit that was the worst and i could never get up there and be sent free that was just the way it was um i tried pretty much all i could so it was 100% counting on the wind so pretty much do not hunt unless the wind is is good was what i would go by because even the slightest bit of scent in the wrong direction even if it swirled a little bit would blow him did you did you find any swirling winds up on like when you get up on that bench there or was it pretty consistent? Uh it was it was pretty consistent, but this year was definitely an interesting year for the wind up there. Um I had one morning where he came in and bedded and he bedded down off the bench in some thick stuff. And my wind was almost okay, but not quite, and it took him probably an hour an hour and a half, um, and then the wind up out of there. He didn't know where I was, but he knew I was somewhere. Um, so he just he betted too low that morning, got past me. But mm. I was going to hunt all day gotcha. just in case he would have come up in the evening, come up to the scrape, which I figure he probably would have. But the wind was just on the – like I could get out safely. But I couldn't stay in safely either. I found out. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. No, I I think there's a lot to be be learned from that, and I, and I think you took a very tactical approach to you know making sure your sits were high priority sits and being in there and, and using some of that that camera intel plus you know what you had found based off sign and choosing the tree and there's there's a combination of things that that you did well and you know obviously ended up with you shooting that deer so. Again, just congrats yeah. on that, man. I, I think that's that's incredible. And if anyone is is listening to this and wanted uh, to see it, you know, he had uh, Angelo had held up the rack here towards the end of the podcast, and it's and also in the background here, so it's pretty yeah. pretty phenomenal. But. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. It's hard to put it into words what all you learned, but if you go out in the woods, you start looking around. You're like, yeah, this deer taught me that. I need to. Pay more attention to that stuff so yeah yeah you uh you 
getting ready or have you been out this spring yet and or winter spring to to get out and start trying to find the next one so this mountain or this area typically about every two three years produces a really good one um and i was just fortunate enough to kill this this year's good deer um so there's nothing too great up there that we're looking for next year but something new can move in that happens all the time up there yeah and now that i know the land like crazy i feel like i feel like this deer taught me the land and other mature deer are going to use it the same way um just the way the land lays out so definitely going to be running cameras there in case something good shows up but we're checking out some new spots found another deer or two that is looking pretty good so i'm excited about those awesome well i hope uh, you have some good luck and i'll be I'll be waiting to see uh, you see some pictures as you start, you know, chasing another one here that's coming here. Yeah, we might try and focus on getting the brother, a younger brother of mine, um, getting him a good one because last year or the last season, the deer that's mounted there, that was my brother's deer, no question. I wasn't going to shoot that one. Um, um, that was that was actually his first buck ever, so he held out really? a good one. Yeah, he passed up a lot of deer waiting on that one. Um, so, I don't know. It's not about shooting the biggest deer, but we'll try and find. Got a lot of people in the family that hunt. So, I put too much time into this deer to really help everyone else in the family. Um, so, we didn't have the best hunting season. While it was an awesome season, it took a lot of my time, and we weren't able to do the smaller stuff. Getting out and having fun. I think so, that's uh, I think that's really it was, important. It was 100% and, and worth cool it. Than- it's uh it it hunting deer like that can consume you and uh you know for yeah. better or for worse and uh yeah it's I, I i go back and forth all the time if you know if the coming year if that's what i want to do or if i just you know want to just yeah. get back to hunting deer in general and it's 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 a hard you know up and down thing to go with but yeah. it when it works out it's definitely worth it <laughs> yeah yeah, I definitely had some friends that were calling me that I'm just crazy. I've lost everything trying to get this deer. <laughs> they all say well, they'll never see a deer this size anyway. But yeah, actually kind of funny. The one fella who was making one of the biggest jokes of uh, here shot a 160 that had a broken brow, so it would have been over 170. And he just, he just was just luck hunting. <laughs> like they they knew the deer was around but he was like i'll never see anything near the size of yours well you know a week later he kills one and just beats me so that was fun oh. to give him a hard time about that yeah no that's awesome i mean man they're out there it's just it as you yeah. found and and it just takes so much work and effort and they're they're out there to find but it's uh it takes a lot of work to be able to do so and and you know a little bit of luck to make it to make it all, you know, come together, you know? Yep. Definitely. It's yeah. It's a game. It's worth playing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing the story here, Angela. Like I said, your, your email was, you know, I could tell in it when you, when you wrote it in there and you were saying, you you know, and have a listener of the podcast and everything and, and just seeing, I'm like, man, this, it just, I don't know, it just screamed at me that you put in a lot of work for it and, and came out. So I'm glad you, uh, uh, you know, accepted the request to, to come on the podcast here and share it with everybody. And I think that anybody listening could be able to pull out some good stuff out of here. 
Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, and hopefully some person can, or a fair amount of people can learn something from this. Um, yeah, it's something we all dream about, and when it comes to reality, it's hard to believe. But, yeah, definitely. Well, cool, man. Thanks for having me. I will, uh, I will talk to you later, but uh, again, I really, really appreciate it, and uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.